Are you a HubSpot user looking to stay up to date with HubSpot inbound and all the information that will make your job easier and help you and your company grow better? Each week, the spot brings you the HubSpot education, ideas, and tools that you need to maximize your success, make work just a little bit easier, and of course, brighten your day along the way. Listen in as Julie, Doug, Max, and George share their authentic, entertaining, and valuable conversations with the people who really matter. That's right, you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for your HubSpot journey heroes. Welcome to this week's episode of The Spot. All right, it's ready, spot, go. And I got to just say from the very beginning here, Julie, you have to have today the number one background out of all of us. It's green, it's lush, it's beautiful. Man, what it's a way. It's key. Come on. She's not no, actually no, no, outside. No. You're not allowed to be outside these days. I take right? no responsibility for this. My mother is a tremendous grower of plants. And I'm sure if anyone's interested in some spider plant babies, she'll mail hey. them to you. There a tremendous go. grower of plants. I love that. There's tremendous so plants ways too. That, I'm saying There's, you can, I'm just saying that that is, can be open to interpretation, which yeah, is Yeah, there all are right. so many ways, so many ways that we could go with that conversation. I'm just going to say. See, I'm the deviant in the group, Julie. Remember, that's why I was brought here. Well, f- well, for that line of thinking, Doug, I might put you in touch with my dad. There you, we go. Go. there you go. Now, now what I will say is if you're listening to this episode, what are you doing? You should be watching because then you could see the background and you could see all the things that we're laughing about right now and the puns that we could be saying. But let's go ahead and dive into our first section today. Guys, I'm so excited because mm, that hit the spot. This week, we're talking about marketing and we are going to talk about the future of content marketing. Julie, Kick us off on this conversation, will you? Cool. So this is a cool article. Um, I found it in a medium publication called Escape Motivation. It's written by Jason McBride. It's called The Future of Content Marketing is Already Here. And the subtitle was, if you're still cranking out 500-word blog posts, you're already behind. And I loved the title and subtitle. And that's what made me click through on this one because I have recently been thinking about 500 word blog posts, 600 word blog posts, 1000 word blog posts, and are they really providing value to readers? Are they doing what we need to do for Google, et cetera, et cetera. As I was reading through this article, I also started feeling like, hey, there's some great points here, right? One of the points is um, Google is showing you more and more content to keep you on Google, right? To continue searching, um, to do secondary and follow-up searches, related keywords, richer search pages, all of those things we know are happening and a whole lot can happen before someone even clicks through and they don't need to click through anymore to get their question answered a lot of the time. Um, there's also this idea that top performing posts are 2000 words or more long. And I know that's something that HubSpot has also studied in their own top performing content and confirmed. Um, there's this idea that people are unpublishing shorter content from the past that hasn't performed well. And they're seeing other pages perform better because of this. So all of this is starting to go down a road that I'm excited about. And I'm thinking like, yeah, there's something really cool happening here. I like this direction. And then we got to this point of like, is email the new blog and you shouldn't be really blogging at all. And there's this different direction. There's this different road to go down and this tie in of like content marketing, it shouldn't be dependent on Google to perform well and bring you traffic and generate leads. And that's where I kind of got lost in this mix because as much as we want to say 800 word blog posts aren't effective 
and they don't help you rank and all of these things. I have so many clients who over the years have ranked for short blog posts, 200 word things, things you would never expect, things that we can always improve on. Um, and yeah, I think writing more and better content is really good. I think there's a place for email. I have a few email newsletters I receive on a weekly basis that I get excited to see in my inbox. Haven't moved them from my promotions tab in Gmail, but I do look out for them and I do save them and read them. I don't often click through on any content in them, but um, what I liked about this was let's question the status quo. And I don't think you take any of this as Bible, but I think we can interpret some of this and learn some lessons and say, okay, well, maybe I do need to rethink my email strategy. Maybe the people who are on my email list need dedicated content that is email specific. And I don't care about getting them to click through. I just want them to understand this. And it's like an exclusive blog post for the email list that they just get in their email. Like there are angles for this from marketing that I like, but uh, I thought the overall approach of the posts didn't quite hit for me, but it got me thinking and that's why it hit the spot. So much to say here. Now, here's the thing. I'm just going to go first, Doug, because I know you're chomping at the bit. Like there oh, are things, um, I know. My head is like curtain right like, now. I know, um, I know there is. Oh. I know there is. So, so I'm going to go first. And I'm gonna Good thing I have my hat on because there's like steam and stuff coming. <laughs> yeah, there's some controversial stuff in this. There's a lot I did not agree with, but I yeah. liked the experience of reading it. Yeah, yeah, I would say everybody needs to read this because there's going to be places that you laugh. There's going to be places that you cry. There's going to be places that you learn things. I will say there's this there's this little line here. The best performing blog content is now skyscraper post or cornerstone post, which by the way, since you're HubSpot users, that's pillar pages, 2,000 to 10,000 words long, which some of you might be listening to this or watching this going, but... I got stuff to do. Like that's a lot of words, which it is, but still that's also a lot of value. And I go back to, man, if you can provide a ton of value, there's going to be a lot of reward at the other end of this. But the piece that I really want to tie into Julie is the whole email portion of this because is email the new blog? I don't necessarily know if it's the new blog, but I will tell you there's been something going around in my mind about email and uh, email subscription, like newsletter type thing of like a more intimate platform, uh, a place where you can talk about things that you maybe can't talk about online because there's a direct reply that somebody can actually say, hey, I have a problem with that, or yes, that's an issue, where if it's a blog and if you were doing comments, there'd be no way that you'd get that engagement. So there's something interesting there about the email and a blog mentality to your email newsletter. Not saying I agree with what they're saying, but there's something there. I'm just gonna be quiet because Doug, I don't think you can take it anymore. I can't wait. This is why I don't like marketers. Um, uh-huh. So, First off, why, why does there continue to be an obsession with word count? Um, Seth Godin's doing pretty well with 100-word um, blog posts. 1,000-word um, blog posts do things. I mean, it, it, here, here's, why, here's why this is a big deal, right? Because of the Google con, right? Google conned you to believe that organic search was free and owned. And what they, what they fail to actually communicate is search traffic is rented traffic and it's paid. I, I had a guy on our podcast, on, on another podcast, 
that, that I do. Um, he runs a technical SEO shop. He did SEO for a Wayfair. And he's like, you know, we, we used to do all this, uh, you know, we used to we had this big budget for paid and I came in, I started doing search. Um, and, and we saved all this money for, um, from paid. We had a 40 person SEO department and it was free. And I said, wait, hold on, free? You had 40 people. Um, so, so I think the other thing that happened, and I'm going to blame HubSpot. I'm blaming HubSpot for this one. We forgot that a blog is designed to educate. What happened was there was this correlation that blogs generated leads, and now all we look at blogs about is capture. I actually fought CTAs on my, I've been blogging since 2005. I was blogging before HubSpot, okay? And, and when this whole CTA thing first came out, I'm like, no, that's, that's, this is about my audience that's paying attention to me. I'm telling you, the biggest return I get on my blog is after first action, right? And you have all these people that are playing all these games to, to try to outguess search and, I think it was Megan, uh, Megan Kelly Anderson from, um, from HubSpot, VP Marketing. She talked about how SEO had changed. SEO is no longer the little person's game, right? It's, it's all owned there. Hey, it was great while you had it. There are so many ways that if you take a look at the time, energy, and effort that people put into to create search traffic. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with search traffic. But, but that's like do that when that's the closest, you know, the fastest way between two points. There's lots of ways to capture audience. There's lots of ways to generate audience. And here's what it comes down to. But by the way, that data from HubSpot is so flawed, I can't even begin to talk about it because there's all kinds of selection bias. If you take a look at the companies that are getting the search traffic, they've done 100 things before they did their 10,000 word post. But here's what it comes down into my world. Quality content beats crappy content every day of the week. I don't care how long it is. I don't care how short it is. The right length for anything, email, blog, whatever, is however many words it needs to be, not one word longer, not one word shorter. Mm-hmm. And damn right, we need to rethink our email. And we need to think our blog. And we need to think everything. Because we stopped creating content for the customer and we started creating content for ourselves. So if you're looking at this blog post through the frame that it is, which is how does content solve for you, then yeah, your content's going to suck. Focus on the experience of your customer there's a law called Goodart's law. It says the moment you take a good measurement and you turn it into the objective, it stops being a good measurement. Search traffic is a byproduct of good content, right? It is not the focus of good content and we are auto-tuning the crap out of ourselves, making us irrelevant, driving everybody to Amazon because they're easier, they're faster, so so what? And this article, while it's brilliantly written and everyone should read it, this is the debate that causes real business people to hate marketers. So we can just close up shop now. That should just be the show. And by the way, here's the thing. If you are listening to this, I swear by all that is holy, you should go and you should click up wherever you're from. Go to the sprockettalk.com. Go to this episode just to watch Max Cohen's expression <laughs> as Doug Davidoff was preaching. It was like a come to Jesus moment in this little left square on my screen. I had to walk away. I was laughing so hard. You have to watch it. Max, like, because you had a visceral response when Doug was talking. Just throw down, like, what was going through your mind at that point? Well, I think me and Doug were probably separated at birth, given the way that we think about this stuff. That is... <laughs> 
I, I was so happy hearing everything I heard. And like, here, here's the, the way that I always kind of thought about content, right? Because I cut my teeth learning this stuff with small to medium businesses, often with marketers who had no idea what search engine optimization was, or the tactical role that blogging played, or just like what content is in general right? Like content was always the big elephant in the room that no one ever wanted to talk about because it's by far the hardest part of this entire inbound thing, right? And, you know, I can't, I, I'm, 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 I'm having stressful flashbacks to all the conversations that I've had with marketers in the past about saying like, oh, well, this, this keyword that we're trying to target doesn't have enough views or this, um, you know, the, this, this topic that we're going after doesn't like align with what our business goal is. And overanalyzing everything. How many words should it be? What sort of images we should use? And all this technical BS that at the end of the day, it had no difference in making it so when a human being got the eyeballs on the words and wrapped their heads around the ideas and consumed the content, it, it, had, it, it did nothing to add value to that experience, right? Like, I have always been in the school of thought, and again, this is not based on me doing a ton of, like, deep research out of the algorithms or, like, anything like that. But what I've kind of noticed is like, if you think of any website that you love going to constantly, you go there because it has good content. You don't go there because there's 800 or 10,000 word blog posts. You don't go there because they have an excellent keyword strategy. You go there because there's content that you can get there that you can't get anywhere else, right? And this is something that I tried to kind of preach to my customers as much as I could, because really you got to think about what the definition of good content actually is, right? It's not the format, it's not the way it's delivered, it's does it get someone closer to achieving some sort of goal that they have or overcoming some sort of challenge that they have, right? Because that's why we use search, en <coughs> search engines in the first place, right? We have somewhere we wanna be or something that's getting in the way. And that's true from like the micro or the macro, right? Micro example, uh, I want to find pizza near me, right? That's a, that's a goal. You could even call it a challenge if you're hungry, right? Uh, something more macro, like why is my sales team not hitting its quota in X industry, right? Something more specific. You always have some sort of goal or challenge when you use a search engine. But when you go to consume that piece of content, if it doesn't get closer to helping you achieve it or overcome the challenge, congrats, you've created clickbait. And it doesn't matter that X amount of people saw the article. You didn't change any hearts and minds or make that person feel more favorable or even see you as a thought leader if the content wasn't good and it did that mechanical thing in their brain, right? So, you know, I've, I've always definitely been in the school of thought where it's like, listen, before you try to over-engineer this whole search engine optimization thing, you have to think critically about who your buyer personas are, what their goals and challenges are, because that dictates what they're looking for and that dictates what's going to make your content good right? And don't overcomplicate it. Get good at creating content first, regardless of the format. That's kind of always the way I've been. Do you know what the difference between legacy Google and LinkedIn is? No. LinkedIn's algorithm is designed to solve for a marketer's action. Mm -hmm. Google's algorithm and the brilliance of Google's traditional algorithm was, it was designed to replicate how someone thinks who has a question or has a need. It was specifically not designed for, um, for, for use by marketers. So, so that's mm -hmm. where you, in, in many ways, the more you get educated on SEO, I think the dumber you get sometimes because you start trying to outthink the algorithm 
when that's not what the algorithm is geared for. Now, I, you notice I said legacy Google, because what they're beginning to do is it's increasingly focusing on monetization and, and, and not like the stuff that Google keeps on page. A lot of the reason that they keep it on page is because the, they give a better experience. They're actually just answering the question. But too much of the other stuff is because it's, you know, because there's this whole Google tax engine that's been driven around it and, and this whole move to intent data rather than like mm -hmm. the beauty of Google was you'd have a question and you'd be surprised by what you saw. And that happens less and less because too much of what's driving everything is touching to that monetization. Again, it's good or slow at work. And that's why yeah. LinkedIn is a miserable experience. Um, Max, I think the great, so you said two things. You said content is so hard at the beginning. And then you said, um, content shouldn't be complicated. And my whole thought is content shouldn't be hard. My favorite thing is when a client writes a blog post, um, and they write a blog post and they say, Hey, I wrote this. This is how we think. Can this like do well? And I say, absolutely. Right. I would rather have this piece of content that you wrote and talks about solving this problem or this rant that you have. Remington, um, the CEO of Impulse Creative wrote one this week and sent it to me just for like a, a brain check. And I said, yeah, this is great. We probably want to add a little bit more here and here uh, because it's important information to someone who's reading it. It's a next step type of thing. What should I do now that you've shared this information with me? Mm -hmm. um, but it was such this like, this is what I have to share. And anytime someone does that, let's share it. And if it's something we feel like should be competitive on a search engine results page, build that later. Yeah. Um, but like get the message out there because that's what resonates with people. And I think Doug, as miserable as the LinkedIn experience is, and I agree that the LinkedIn experience is not my favorite, um, you see these viral type LinkedIn posts. I hate that word. Um, please watch the video so you can see my face as I say these things with skepticism and disgust. Um, but like those viral LinkedIn posts that are just like one line at a time that people are talking about whatever this feeling they have do well because they are that empathetic feeling of, oh yeah, I've been there. I felt this. And that's what blogs aren't doing today. No, I don't agree with that. I, I, I think what's happened is, I mean, the, the LinkedIn algorithm says don't put the link in in, in the copy, right? So no one puts the link in the copy and everyone does two lines, skips three lines so that you have to click more to come in. That, that, that's what the game is. And so I, I don't mean that no one makes it empathetic, but it begins yeah. to be this whole game and what we're, we're auto-tuning our, our takes, right? And how does not having the link in the, um, in the post, how, does, how is that beneficial to the reader? If you're referring to something, why do I have to open the comment to see what you're talking about? Right. So that peeves me. And I agree with that. That's what, what I'm, I'm thinking more of, I, I think, is more people actually sharing something on LinkedIn. Sure. That's not a link. Like but, using LinkedIn as a microblog. Oh, gosh. Right. That was such a 2010 word. Yeah, but, um, but, but you get, like, but again, the, like, so my point is that LinkedIn algorithm is not smart enough to be able to tell the difference. And Google's is. Like you can't clickbait Google like you could before. Yeah. I, I mean, you can if you're really, really, but that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, so you're penalized when the link matters because that, again, that algorithm is solving for an action because what is LinkedIn trying to do? They're trying to drive an advertisement. 
So, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. And, and we all know this saying, marketers ruin everything. That's why you can't have the link in the description, Doug. That's why we need more salespeople. We find something, yeah. we ride the crap out of it. Nor marketers, man. Things go, this sucks because we're not being human. We're being marketing, right? We're being marketers. And so we, we all know the problem. And here's the other thing, as you guys are talking, like I had to start laughing because I know that some of the best things that I have posted that, that just like went crazy when, before I hit the publish button, I thought it was the dumbest crap ever. Like, I'm like, I don't, nobody's going to well, like, this is the well, dumbest crap ever. And then all of a sudden everybody liked that thing. So, and it was, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame the marketer. Cause I'm going to say, don't hate the player, hate the game. Right. Because in fairness, that's the game that they're now supposed to play. We, we live in an echo chamber where if I upvote you, if I thumbs up you, if I like you, then that feeds, that feeds, that feeds. We've got all this dopamine going. And, and here's the thing. When someone brings a take, an insight that's not comfortable, you don't like that, right? The, the, the stuff that actually has impact doesn't show because it's like, I don't read something and go, wait, oh, holy, wait, that, like, like, I'm sure a lot of people interpret it that I don't like the post that, that, that was shared today, right? I think it's a great post. I think everyone should read it. But the way the game is set up is that my reaction to that post hurts that post. And so we create less of it and less of it and less of it. Uh. And, and by the way, while we do that and we auto-tune our small and mid-market businesses, we all go into the deadly middle and Amazon and Facebook and Google and Microsoft just continue to eat, 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 eat. And we're like, oh, I don't understand. This isn't fair. I, you know, it's not fair. I should have a T-Pain sound effect for like everything <laughs> that Doug says auto-tune and just have, have something play. That's what should be happening right now on the oh, show. Sorry. We'll get there. We'll get there. Wait, wait. How about, how about? we create an auto-tune of Doug saying auto-tune. And then when you That's edit the metal. episode, you can play that instead of when he says auto-tune. That's very meta. That and I don't even That's have That's why I love hat. marketers. That's why I love marketers. See, we're already, we're, hey, we're already <laughs> playing the game. So here's the thing. Let's move on from this article because this article has been amazing. And again, everybody, check, check out the show notes. Make sure you uh, hit that link. Make sure you read the article. And most importantly, make sure you let us know your thoughts. You know ours, obviously. But guys, I want to go into a section called In the Spotlight. And I want to talk about automating your process. And the reason I want to bring this up is because most times when we think about automating a process, we think of it from one standpoint, marketing automation or sales automation. I don't even know if I've heard service automation. But when you think about being able to do things faster, what is your take? Why should companies be focusing on an automating process in the first place? Or should they? Um, I've always been in the school of thought of, because uh, it's very easy, I think, to fall into this trap of just because you can automate it doesn't mean you should automate it, right? I think there's like a lot of misconceptions around automation, especially for like anyone who's new to it and hasn't really had experience with what marketing automation, sales automation, service automation like actually means. They take a lot of the, the pains that their business has and they, you know, buy a piece of software or buy a product and just kind of assume that they can automate everything or that they should automate it just because they have the option to. Um, 
So I think for me, it's always just like, think critically about what needs to be automated. And if something does need to continue to happen manually, just, just be thoughtful about how it does. Um, if I were to give any general thoughts around it. So I, I think when you look at automation, um, and I don't think it matters whether you're talking about sales, marketing, service, finance, human resources, um, uh, Mario Brothers, what, what, whatever the case may be. If, if, if you, um, there, there, there's kind of three realms of what, of what is called in the design world, the knowledge funnel. The, at the top is what mysteries. These are the one-off things. This is, and, and anytime you do something for the first time, it's a mystery. Um, those are the things you clearly don't automate, right? You can't automate them because you don't know what's going on. Um, algorithms, by the way, that's what automation is. A automation is an algorithm. Algorithms are always true. It is ABC, ABC, ABC. Um, and what's in the middle between mysteries and algorithms, and this is where automation screws everybody, are heuristics. Heuristics are those things that are generally true. Um, we often think they're always true. Like someone says to me, all you got to do is get me in front of somebody and I'll be able to close them. That's our only problem. We just need more leads because if I get in front of them, I close them. Because I remember the last five people that I closed and I got in front of them and I closed them and I don't remember the 62 other people that I got in front of that I didn't close, right? It's a heuristic. It's generally true. Um, and, and when we automate heuristics, that's where we blow things up. When we don't do it manually first, that's when we blow things up. Um, I also think that we live in this binary world where we view it as automated or manual. Um, I believe that automation exists on a scale, fully automated to, um, we do a lot of, I mean, the whole way that we changed how we make HubSpot work is this idea of automation to manual to automation to manual. And, and, and so what we're looking at here is in these heuristics, like in managing a sales conversation, there are aspects of the process that can very easily be automated. And I say easily, I mean, it, it, it's clear, but the, you know, you hit various points, they could be touch points, they could be triggers and, and variation comes in. So what we do is we build in a stop and monitor that has a manual intervention of some form that can then, that then picks things back up. So here's the general rule. Um, if you go back, I think it was 1980, John Nesbitt came out with the book Auto Trends, and he coined the term um, high-tech, high-touch. And if you look at the underlying operating philosophy of the four seasons, it is automate the predictable so you can humanize the exceptional. That's what we automate. Identify what are the pieces and, and, and realize your business process needs to drive your tech. So you need to, like the problem and the solution is in, is in the design of the business process. As that design gets better, that's how you pick it up into automation and realize if you can't first put it in a spreadsheet, in a mind map, or in a Visio file, you cannot automate it. Julie, what are your thoughts? Uh, the idea of automation is one of my least favorite things. I think that it's also one of my favorite things, but I have spoken to, worked with, worked for many organizations who think if we could just automate this whole thing and no one had to talk to anybody, everything would be so much better. And then you start looking at things and you realize, well, you're getting three leads a month. 
So you want to do all this email automation and automated segmentation and all this stuff on three leads a month. And it's going to take you a hundred hours to build this thing, this crazy automation engine where you're going to do like automated lead nurturing, send all these emails, pass people out. So if they downloaded this offer, they don't ever see it again and this and that, which maybe is great for solving for the user. When in reality, you could have someone with a fractional part of their job for the time being, actually connecting with those people, looking at what they're doing. And if you have content to share, share good content and invest your time somewhere else. Like sometimes the return on effort of automation is the least worth it thing in the world. And it makes me a little bit crazy when it's looked at as the solution of, of marketing and growth and performance. It just, but I also love it because there's so much yep. you can't do without automation. You know what that form of automation that you were talking about does, don't you? Tell me. It auto-tunes you. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, here's the thing. Here, here's what's funny is because, uh, A, this is not the direction that I thought our conversation would go, but I love the fact that this is the direction that our conversation went because what I hear, what I think I hear you guys saying is that, well, you know, automating your process, it shouldn't be that big a deal. And many times it's not what you really want to do. However, I'm battling internally with that that's our conversation because the number two thing, the number two problem that Sprocket Talk folks have said that they have an issue with is actually automating their process. So are we saying that there's a problem out there that shouldn't exist Hold because on. people shouldn't be focusing on it or are there things that people should be automating? Is it not a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Like, let me tell you, let me tell you my favorite form of automation that I've ever seen in my entire life. It is the single best piece of automation at work. And it was Burger King who did it. And, and I went to Burger King and I ordered a quarter pounder with cheese back when I was eating quarter pounders with cheeses from Burger King. And I opened up the wrapper and I lifted my burger. And you know what I saw in the middle of the wrapper? It was a circle. And in the middle of the circle, it said, place burger here. Okay, that was automation, right? The, the amount of money that that saved by simply putting a circle in the middle made it very clear and easy um, for where the burger to go. It was always centered. How many burgers, when they're a little bit off center, they fall out, they create other problems, et cetera. That is automation. So what you just said, George, the problem is they're asking the question, how do I automate my process? But what they're trying to do is automate their technology, right? So here's my question. You want to automate your process? Show me your process. Once you show me your process, then we can figure out these are the parts to automate because they're predictable. And, and we can determine is the juice worth the squeeze. But what they want to do, what they're asking you as it relates to HubSpot is how do I program the workflow to do the thinking for me? No, 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 no. Automation is an algorithm. That means the thinking has already been done. So yeah, you know why you're having problems automating your processes? Because you haven't thought about your process. If nope. you can't do it five times the same way manually, you cannot automate it and stop trying to. And that's why every time you try to automate it, it blows up because you shouldn't have automated it. And, and Doug, you know what I love about your story is that the automation that Burger King put into place was there to delight the customer. 
because there's nothing that ticks me off more than a badly wrapped sandwich. Like if I, if that stuff oozes out on my shirt because you can't wrap it, like, well, that's a great point. The automation solves for the customer, but it also actually increased employee retention and employee satisfaction because you know what? Here's the beauty of automation. I don't have to think. It saves mm-hmm. my thinking time. That's why I love automation. We spend so much time thinking about low value activities, right? But, but what we want to do is we just want to offload it to automation instead of realizing, okay, we have to put the hard work in to do the thinking in advance so that we don't have to think about it in implementation. But you cannot skip that step. I know you want to, I want to, right? But you know, automate my process. The keyword in there is process. The noun is Doug, process, I, the verb is automate. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah, you can. I love the part where you figure out all the steps and touch points in the process. Yeah. That's my favorite part. Yeah. Like talking to people, figuring out what they're doing, what different people are doing differently. We just did a big implementation of HubSpot automation for a client who uh, was moving from Salesforce and a Google sheet that they ran their whole business off of with hundreds of new customers getting implemented and onboarded every month from a Google sheet. And there was this big moment of, we're going to kill the Google sheet and you're going to love it. And that's the use case for automation and process that I love. Right, because well, there's a real pain there. The, the juice and the value and, and, and the delta is all in identifying those places and specifically identifying where are the inflection points that actually make a difference, right? And, and it, I mean, that, that's the other part of the problem is when you skip that step, that's where all the genius is. And the whole point of automation is to program the genius into the system. But if you skip the genius creation step, right, then, then you miss it. You know, the other gap, too, goes back to the heuristic. And this is where I feel for the marketer that's being tasked with uh, marketing automation, which, first off, by the way, the skill set of the marketer and the skill set of the automator are not – there's not a heavy overlap in the Venn diagram there, by the way. But, but you've got the CEO who says, this is always true because it happened yesterday. Right. And, and I make this mistake. Like, to me, like I, I get 80% of the picture and 80% of the time this happens, but like to make it happen this way without human intervention, like I always say, yes, Mr. CEO, you're right. It happened like for you, it's, this is step one, step two. What you need to understand is you actually went through 500 steps between step one and step two, right? So you, because of your brain, because of human, you got to skip all that. And it was all one thing. But for me to replicate that, I have to be able to break that apart. And so if we can't break that apart, then I can't automate it. I, think I would also- like to dunk a basketball, George, but I can't. <laughs> and you got this thing called gravity that keeps getting in the way. And it doesn't matter how hard I work at it or how much I want it. I, I got to deal with gravity. It's the same thing with automation. Uh, yeah. Could we, get, could we get you a lower hoop? We could do that. We could do that. <laughs> you know what's sad, folks? Oh, that hurt. That, that might be the meanest thing you've ever said to me. Is it really? I'm so sorry because I'm only five feet tall, so I would also like a lower hoop. Yes. Everybody wants a yeah, lower hoop. You know, I, you know, I want to, but like that, I want to, see, there's that, see, marketers are Doug. always trying to hack. They're always trying to hack the algorithm. We're trying to solve people's <laughs> problems, and your problem is you can't dunk, and I want to make it attainable for you. 
and okay, that... I want to be able to jump 10 feet and ha I want to have a 10 foot vertical. That's what I want. Okay. Can I give you shoes with springs on them? Sure. Great, and I still I did won't it. get 10 feet. <laughs> That's a great place to end the show, folks. Until we spot again, what do you think? What do you think about the article that we've shared? What do you think about automation? Make sure you hit us up on the socials. Make sure you hit up Julie, Doug, Max, myself. Make sure you're checking out the show notes and we will definitely be ready next week with another episode where we try to keep it on the rails and we just tell you how we feel about the things that are sales, marketing, service, and website design. Until next time, Doug, give parting things of something somebody should do in 10 words or less over the next week. Map a process. And we'll see you in the next episode.